Summer camp is a magic place where kids discover who they are because they have the freedom to explore on their own. Y Camp at Horse Thief Reservoir is a sleepaway camp in the heart of Idaho's wilderness. Each summer, campers make friends, build new skills, and learn to love the outdoors through activities like canoeing, archery, zip lining, rock climbing, campfires, and more. Registration for Y Camp at Horse Thief Reservoir is open. Financial assistance is available. Learn more at ycampidaho.org. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. Hello, welcome to another edition of the Agile Uprising podcast. I'm Andy Clef, and my co-host is Colleen Johnson. Great to have you back, Colleen. Thanks for having me, Andy. I'm excited for today's conversation. Today, we're picking up from a prior podcast that was released in May of this year, Agile in Education, Going with the Flow. And the the working title for today is Tales from the Road. We have a panel group here, teachers, students, administrators. It's a a broad range of personas and we're going to hear some stories. Seems like ever since the dawn of our species, we've loved to tell stories. We sung them. We told them around campfires. Uh, We painted them on cave walls, drew them on clay pots, carved them in stones, made tapestries. And today we do podcasts. So we're going to share some anecdotes how our panelists are applying lean agile values and principles and have had a really profound, positive and measurable impact on educational systems for all personas. We're going to hear from multiple perspectives as much as possible. So why a part two? Well, if you've been a regular listener, you know about the great resignation in engineering and software that has started uh, at the beginning this year. Well, it looks like teachers might be next. Statistics are really sobering. Uh, We did some pre-show research. Colleen, you want to share a little bit of the data and then we'll ask for stuff from a, a couple of our students. Yeah. Yeah. The numbers aren't great. Um, They are, they are very sobering. So, you know, looking at the NEA poll from last year, it said that the numbers of teachers leaving the profession range anywhere from 33 to 55%. So we're losing half of our teachers earlier than they planned to leave the profession. And the numbers are even higher in black, Hispanic, and Latino educators Um, in Omaha, you know, some local numbers, depending on where you are, the Omaha school district said 800 teachers resigned at the end of the school year last year. That was a 50% spike over the year before. And there's similar numbers to look at in schools in Maryland, Virginia, Ohio, which is scary, right? This is really scary. 
this is something we need to be paying attention to. And, and a lot of these teachers aren't leaving to go to a different school district or, or even just a different school. They're, they're leaving the profession altogether. So we have to really take a, a deep dive here and look at why that's happening and what we can do to help support our teachers so, so that they're not burned out and leaving, the, leaving this profession altogether. I'm really excited about everyone we have here today to talk through this. And, and I'd love to start with the students that we have here and hear from um, what your experience has been through COVID and through your education, um, how you saw some of these things happen from, a, from the classroom side of things. Hayden, you want to tell us a little bit about yourself and what you've seen as a student? Absolutely. Uh, my name is Caden Ketchman. I am a rising senior at a public high school in North Carolina. I have been extremely involved with like all of the educators at my school in, in terms of just getting to know them really well. And also in terms of advocacy, because there is honestly so much that I think that we as students are able to do to impact education right now. We have another student on the call. So Varika, tell us a little bit about your journey to date. Yeah, so I actually graduated during COVID and I had one and a half years of my college experience during COVID. And I would say what I saw is I think a lot of teachers lose their passion or maybe have difficulty connecting with their students because a lot of people get into the teaching profession for their connection with students. And with COVID, that's been really hard. And I think it's hard to have that mutual kind of drop in office hours or bonds that you're making. And especially when you're doing classes through video, it's kind of like a get it done and go process. So I think that's been hard, both for myself and for the professors on the other side, teachers on the other side. We have some teachers with us as well. Hi, I'm Jessica Cavallaro. I have been a civics teacher for about 15 years. And during COVID, just like the students just mentioned, uh, specifically Varika, there was a real struggle in um, how are you going to maintain relationships and social connections with students and how are they going to maintain those social connections with each other, which is a vital part of learning. So that is what brings us together was finding agility and how it can connect teams in business spaces and figuring out that that could apply to students and teachers and build those bonds and still have deep, excellent ways of learning while dispersed all around the country. My name is Rosalind Jackson. I've been a science educator for 18 years. Same thing that Jessica was saying, COVID definitely... <laughs> Uh, shocked everybody. And yes, you had to pivot quickly to try to maintain your drive to teach, honestly, and the drive to stay connected with your students, connected with your other teachers, connected with your school, and to maintain that proper balance and that energy to try to keep teaching and to stay in the profession. And agility was a great way to do that, which I'm sure we're going to unpack as we talk. Yeah, let's definitely unpack that, Roz, and I, and I appreciate you talking too about, you know, the the passion, right? When I think about the teachers that have impacted my student, my, my kids' lives, right? They're the teachers that I know that they have that really amazing connection with, and you could feel that passion coming from, from the teachers who they have had interactions with over their lives and, and all different grade levels. And when I think about some of this, right, you, you've all talked a little bit about adaptability in COVID, right? Adapting to being online with Zoom or, you know, um, how we've had to change how we teach. But do we see any change or opportunity? Or are there any stories anybody could share around how we've had to adapt what we're teaching because of COVID and maybe students not being able to keep on pace with where they, they would have been had we been in a classroom? 
Well, at the beginning of COVID, you know, we all went home and no one really knew how to manage these new systems. We were all, you know, Roz and I were in school on Friday and then we were in a virtual classroom on Monday with zero prep time or idea of how to navigate this. And while you might be a seasoned teacher, you found yourselves completely out of depth and your students were isolated, you were isolated. And during your, your classes, a lot of teachers resorted to, we have to get the content covered. And so it was just the teacher's face on a screen and the kids weren't able to really interact with the materials like they had in the past. And it didn't create that kind of warm environment and safe environment that classrooms had been before. And so a major part of having to adapt to that was how do you how do you build those relationships and keep students learning, keep them safe and keep that culture of community together while you're all in different places? There was a very strange adjustment when we first went online. I remember that when I, when we, like personally, when we, when I went online, there was about a week where I was still learning content until I got an email from the principal at my school, essentially telling me that with what the state had decided to do in terms of grading, I literally didn't have to do any more work for the rest of the semester and I would still have straight A's. And I was essentially told I don't need to learn anything else because the way that the state was choosing to grade was so strange. And I remember attending classes and my teachers becoming increasingly frustrated with the way that their content was devalued. And I, I, that was a really rough time to be in education because education turned from a sort of like, like actually having to learn the content for the point of learning into, you know, just getting however many points you needed to get whatever grade in the class and then quitting. Uh, that was definitely an odd experience. So it's really interesting. So real quick, my name is uh, Jeff Bursine, and, and like so many of the people on the call, I do agile work, transformation work, coaching, consulting out in the government and in the industrial sector. And what I noticed at the beginning of the pandemic was that while industry and government had the ability to deal with distributed teams, educational systems were no longer able to kind of make that adjustment. And just hearing Caden's story, I would just imagine what it would be like to jump on a, any Zoom or team call and going, oh, well, based on the pandemic and how we're going to measure success, your work is all done for the year. You just take the rest of the year off and we're going to continue to pay you. Said no manager, leader, boss ever. Ever. Right? So, it's just amazing how we're so quickly and as a society willing to sacrifice that thing that is probably the most important, right? The education of our students. It's an old way of working. And, and I'm reminded, and, and some of our listeners know, I'm, I'm a recovering project manager. Many of our audiences as well, right? We, we were trained decades ago in the Iron Triangle. And when we go into a modern organization that says we want to be adaptable, we say we got to throw that away, but they can't. It is so institutionalized. And it sounds like, Caden, you experienced an institutionalized iron triangle in education, right? You're assessed on these things. You already got it. Here's the content. Great. You already got it. You're done. Uh, I'm curious, two years later, you know, from that Friday to Monday switch that Jessica, you described, are we still anchored in 
assessments, student, teacher, school, prove your worth. Here's the content, deliver it, check, check, check. And your constraints are, you got 180 or 181 days of education and delivered in 22 or 44 minute chunks. Has that been thrown away? Or are people still struggling with, well, the world's changed, but my constraints are the same. Pop up. As a teacher, I think a lot of educators in the educational framework and quite frankly, administrators, they tried or they told us that, yes, the world is different. You can change what you are doing. And it's honestly because nobody knew what we were doing at the time. But as we've quote unquote, tried to rush back to normal, those old, not productive, not efficient kind of methods have reappeared. And in the name of achieving normalcy, they've kind of gotten stronger in spite of everything that we've learned during the pandemic. And that's making the battle for change. And I think causing a lot of teachers to leave the classroom because in the face of all of this evidence that is saying what we've been talking about for decades, students are now arguing about it. Parents now see it and are arguing for change. Teachers have been doing it for decades. Even administrators are arguing for change, but quite frankly, some of them are constrained by an educational system that they themselves don't control. And a lot of that inertia towards going back to normal is flying in the face of everything that we now know needs to be changed. That is a hard kind of, that's a hard kind of thing to move in the face of the entire world, not just this country, not just the United States, to try to get back to normal. A lot of people want to go back to that comfort zone and trying to educate parents, teachers, that educational framework that no, you can do this and you can do it better. It takes a lot of effort that honestly, a lot of people don't have bandwidth to do because they're still treading water. So I think a lot of people realize that there needs to be change, but the when you see how difficult that some people are making it, it's easier to just kind of either leave like a lot of teachers are doing or say, okay, I'm going to duck and cover until I can retire or I'm just going to do enough, which is a disservice to our students. Yeah, we see that. And and for the ones that remain, I I read somewhere that maybe it was an NEA survey that a huge proportion of them, 80% or more, they're not just treading water, (laughs) treading water, but they're being weighed down by the unfilled job openings that can't be backfilled from the people that have left either early in in the year or the openings that are there. Uh, are struggling. Exactly. Farika, before the show, we were talking a little bit about your experience and how you met Simon. And so you've got this perspective of being in, um, um, I don't want to say traditional, but maybe it was a more traditional educational system and, and then emerging into the quote, the world of work. Can you tell us a little bit, both you and Simon, un- unpack that journey in more detail for us. So I met Simon through a fellowship that I was lucky enough to get into the summer of COVID. um, And that was um, through Techstars and it was for startups to kind of grow through the summer. And they actually had a really agile way of running the fellowship too, I would say. And it really helped me understand metrics and like think critically and all of that. And Simon was a speaker during the fellowship. So after 
I reached out because I needed help um, running the team I was at the time for the startup. And I learned about how to not only manage a group of people, but be more agile in the way that I think about work and the way that I structure like units of work. Um, I'm not going to get into user stories and all of that, but I know we talked a lot about it. So um, that was really helpful. And I would say like my college experience, the entrepreneurship end of it was really great because that's what helped me get connected to programs like this and people like this. But in terms of the actual classes, I didn't feel as inspired a lot of times because it was like very rigid for me. And it was just a lot of content and slides, but not really like practical applications. Simon Altapel. Um, I'm also an educator and I've worked in classroom situations on school boards as an administrator. You know, one of the things that always got me through any bad day was a chance to interact with students like Caden and Vrika, students who were really open-minded, were willing to try new things, were not weighed down by sort of how things had historically been done. And, you know, through my work, you know, running a running an independent school, learned about agility and learned about these ways of working that Andy, you referenced that are just fundamentally collaborative. And once you make that leap as an educator from, I need to sort of control this environment to I need to collaborate effectively with everyone else in the environment, you then sort of pop this kernel of collaborative learning. That kernel of collaborative learning has a degree of adaptability and agility to it. It is also what a lot of people understand as capital P progressive learning from 100 years ago when John Dewey was trying to figure out what do we do in a rapidly changing society to help get people involved as citizens in this enterprise at that time known as America, United States of America, still known by that. But also, you know, when you read the news, you realize there's a lot of sort of explosive pressure going on and things like agility and things like bringing these ways of working to students feels to me more and more like an obligation because Varika is in year one of what is hopefully a long professional career. That adaptability she can bring through her work as an entrepreneur into every other context that she works in, Caden similarly. You know, so to me, I see this moment of incredible stress and opportunity. And so to me, it feels like the work of Agilist is to be reaching up, out, and down at the same time, because we all have this same interest of how do we get this system to function better? How do we get people to feel re-engaged? And the answer is not more command and control. The answer is finding colleagues to collaborate with in ways that feel safe for the appetite of risk in that circumstance to just like get back together, get back to those sort of ways that we experienced as teachers that got us into the profession in the first place. And in a different context, we have to find ways to do different things if we want to get to different results. Absolutely. And Simon, you and Jeff are doing a lot of this work right now. You're out here trying to help change the way that, that education looks to, to be more adaptable, to be more responsive, to be more agile. Um, and you mentioned from an agilist perspective, which a lot of our audience listening right now is probably in that camp, needs to reach up and reach out and get involved in this so that it's not too late, right? I mean, yeah. te- teachers are leaving quickly and this is, this is going to become a, a major issue for, for our education system very soon. Where do we start? Where's, where, what are the ways we can start to get involved and take action here? Sure. I mean, for the listening audience of this podcast, for those who are either parents or you know, have young people in their lives whose education they care about, to me, the best first step is to say, who is stressed out and how can you help them? 
as a professional agilist listening to this podcast, if you have good relationships in any school, you can invite those teachers who you care about to just talk to you about, you know, different ways of working, these collaborative ways of working that get us out of the zero-sum competition prestige game into the, when you have complex problems, you need to look for a team first to solve that problem. So it's just, it's relationships. If you know people in education at any level, just start putting those invitations to collaborate out there. It is as simple as that, in my view, but other people may have better ideas and I would love to hear those too. I'd love to hear a little bit again about Jessica and Roz's, you know, hey, Friday, um, everything's normal, Monday's different. What would the next Friday, what did two Fridays later look like for you? I'm not a traditional teacher, so I was never a front of the classroom teacher. So I figured I do project-based learning. I will design a project-based learning unit to follow it out the end of the school year. I was very close to the end of the school year because we were in Florida already. So I designed this unit and I figured out class times and I set it in motion and I said, this is going to be fantastic. My kids already know how to do this. This is, it's collaborative. It's, it's, you know, all the things that they're used to doing. And and now that because I'm a history teacher, I asked them to fill out a time capsule assignment. And I said, you're living through history. So just write to me once a week, what you're doing, what's going on, how you're feeling, because you're, you're living through a moment in history. And as I'm starting to receive these time capsules back from my kids, they get slowly and slowly more desperate and sad. And it's not that they're not learning or it's not that, you know, you know, we were in a school where they had lots of touch points and they had lots of access to teachers but they were what I didn't realize because you always see students on their phones and you think that they're highly connected because of apps and the internet and everything else is that they, they didn't know how to connect with one another when they weren't in a room together. And so they had mostly casual relationships that they didn't know how to work when they weren't stuck in a room together for 40 minutes a day. And so they were becoming increasingly isolated and their parents were becoming increasingly stressed and no one ever turned off cable news. So their parents are stressed and now they're hearing they have the the count of COVID on one side and then they don't have friends on the other. And so you're getting these time capsules back and it's getting increasingly worrying. So you start out going, okay, this is okay. We're going to maintain school. We're going to have this normalcy. And as it continues on through the rest of the year and into June, your students are really desperate just to have friends and just to have a conversation with someone. And so you'd show up for class and they just wanted to talk about how their parents let them go swimming and just, just tell you anything. They just wanted to sit there and talk to you like it was a different time. So that's when it clicked to me that, and, and I guess I knew this, but it really clicked. It was, it was altering honestly for the rest of my life that we needed to be there for our students more than just for the content part. And we needed to find a solution because at that point we had no idea how long the pandemic was going to last and when schools were going to come back. And that is what brought me into, uh, I first found Scrub and then Agile was, was, wow, there's individuals that work their whole lives in teams that are remote that have managed to get things done. They're, they're accomplishing, they're having meetings, they're collaborating, they're building connections, they're healthy, normal adults. I need to bring this to my students so my students can be healthy, normal teenagers that learn how to adapt and, and can still build the skills that they need for life because it was pretty apparent at that moment that this is the future of work and this, this needs to be the future of education. How far along from that Friday to Monday shift did that eureka moment happen for you? 
well, you started to see the isolation within three weeks. It became pretty desperate that, you know, I had eighth grade middle school boys sitting on Zoom singing um, wheels on the bus to my three-year-old just, just to have something to do, you know, so that's not, that's not a normal occurrence in most people's lives. And so it was really by summer when I found Scrum and Agile. And how long did it take you to feel like you had a minimum viable experiment that you could launch in the classroom? Days, weeks, or the whole summer? Uh, I read Jeff Sutherland's Scrum book in four days, and I knew I had the answer to how to solve education at that moment. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and I want to go back a second. You know, you're, you talked about this connection that the students needed and that they were missing and how you started to see that bubble up in Zoom and that that was an important piece that we had to figure out how to address for the teacher to student relationship. Um, but if we're thinking about this too, with teachers leaving the profession, is there a way to extend what you did in your classroom with Scrum for the teacher to student relationship for a teacher to teacher relationship? Um, it sounds like maybe that support is something that's going to be just as critical. And I see Roz, you guys can't see Roz, she's laughing. So I'm curious what you think about how to apply this for um, teacher peer support. Uh, yeah, I guess I could take that one. Uh <laughs> It's funny because Jessica said she found this answer in August, like towards the end of summer. She actually shared it with me at that point in time. I bought you the book. She bought me the book and pretty much I wasn't in the headspace to do it because um, I was done. Um, I was seriously going to leave not just the classroom, but going to leave education for personal reasons. My daughter has a chronic illness, so it. COVID hit us hard. But just like Jessica before, I mean, yes, I had to teach from home just like her. But again, I was that inquiry-based, project-based learning teacher. Some of the kids that I'd had the prior year, they hit it out of the park at the end of that year. But for me, the connection, what I needed from my school at the time, my needs weren't being met. And so just like our kids need to feel safe and secure and connected, so do the adults. And at the time I wasn't. So Jessica had a solution, but I did not have the mental, mental capacity at the time to say, okay, I was ready to leave, but I didn't. And I kind of like trudged along the way a lot of teachers are now. And then finally, after the holiday break in, it was like February, I saw what she was doing and I was like, okay, now I'm ready. I want that. Um, because again, I saw the lack. I saw what her students were doing and my students weren't doing enough of that, no matter how I pivoted and tried to make it more interactive with what I was doing. I was still doing the basic inquiry-based stuff, but I wasn't using Agile and she was. And I was happy too. And she was happy. And that is contagious as a teacher. And plus, I mean, I knew her, we were cool. We were the two weirdo teachers at our school that always did the off the wall stuff with our kids. And I'm like, wait, 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 her kids are having more for than mine. I'm jealous. So I mean, but we joke about that. But um, so finally, I got on board with that. I tried it personally for myself in my own personal life, had success with it. And then I was like, oh, my God, I got to do this with my kids. And it was amazing. And it made me inspired to come back the following year and even do it better. 
It brought the passion back. It does. You get so burned out that by the end of the year, you're just showing up to punch the clock and you're like, here's a movie and, and you're just done. Yeah. And, and that happens to all kinds of professionals. It, it happens to students too. The students are done too at the end of the year. Exactly. Um, it's, it's a very special gift as a teacher, when you end the school year and your brain is bubbling with new ideas for the next year and you can already plan yeah. out your content and your curriculum and you're excited to do so. And, and that's what happened with yeah. us. Like we were planning for that second year after COVID. We were planning like in June, mm-hmm. We right after school was out, we were still planning for the following year. That's crazy. We were other teachers' curriculum yeah. for the next year. It's absolutely crazy. So I think when you're talking about what can help with other teachers, it's learning that there is another solution besides the boring traditional professional development that lasts for a couple of days and then you're left on your own. It's something besides, okay, I just need to Netflix and chill for two months and drink whatever adult beverage I want to and try to chill and be like, okay, by August, when you get that feeling like, oh crap, I have to go back. I'm just going to duck and cover and I'm going to wait until June. I'm going to count those days until vacation. It does not have to be that way. And this was a tool that actually helped you do the fun things, the cool things, the differentiation that you wanted to do with your students in class. And you had more time for yourself. It was, it's a way and a method and a foundation and a framework that actually gives you what you want, gives you that fun for teaching. And when you have that kind of energy, your students have it too. So this is contagious. You know, you forget that. And I'm sure our students here can talk about it too, is that they've been, they've gone through the ringer too. And so students have had an experience, you know, I had kids in middle school that haven't been in school for two and a half years. And so a lot of the things that teachers are seeing are student behaviors because students are not used to waiting to go to the bathroom or raising their hand or sharing. And I know I teach middle school, but (laughs) you have students that haven't seen other students. And, you know, what does that really do for the development of social skills? It's a lot that teachers are juggling. It's a lot that the students are juggling. So to have that positive energy when you walk into a room, it really initially solves a lot of the problems that we're facing because when you have a bunch of people that don't want to see each other, it yeah. doesn't have great results. <laughs> Be- before we um, invite the students to, to share their voices. So you describe these new ways of working Jess and Rosalind. Um, and I understand that you have a, a weekly or bi-weekly session where it's lean coffee format. Can you tell us more about that? Yes, it's called the Teacher's Lounge, and it's really just a community of educators, whether you're teachers inside the classroom, outside of the classroom, whether you are thinking of transitioning or you're trying to find that energy to stay. Um, It's a way for us to share your experiences, share your ideas for that continued type of improvement. So it's Wednesday at noon one week, and then the following week is Wednesday at 3 p.m. So we can include people on the, yes, it's Eastern Standard Time. And so the following week or the alternative week will be 3 p.m. So we can kind of include the people on the West Coast to get them during their lunch period as well. It's about 30 to 45 minutes because we know even though it's summer, teachers are working. So we don't really have vacations, but it's, it's an energizing kind of session to where you are sharing ideas, not just commiserating. I mean, sometimes you just have to get it out. 
and then we move forward and we add value and we're trying to help other teachers find kind of like that energy that we have in that area of education because it's all about problem solving, adding that value to your classroom, adding that value to your school, to your students. Finding your tribe. Exactly. Having people that understand what you're going through, but also people that are willing to problem solve. So not just sit around and complain, but hey, what are the issues that we're having? We're happy to listen and we're happy to problem solve as well. So how can we bring answers to some of these really big issues. Something that's amazing is everybody's welcome. That's quite frankly how we met Caden, which was amazing. So everybody is welcome and we love amplifying his voice, other student voices, anybody that is willing to work and bring solutions. Absolutely. Especially we want everyone participate because education affects all levels of society. So if you're a parent, we want you to come in. If you're a teacher, we want you to come. If you're admin, we, you know, if you're an aunt, we want you to come in. You're, you're participating in the system of society and, and we all, everyone needs help to get their voice heard. It really, for the, for the audience members who are agilists, it's kind of like, imagine a very large community of practice under an open-sided tent. The <laughs> tent is agility, the communication and collaboration is there and the way that you know it as a community of practice. Um, and it really is open to all who are interested in you know, finding better ways to collaborate. Yeah. I think we're going to have to rename this podcast, how the teachers got their groove back. Oh yeah. yeah. I feel the energy. Hearing you guys talk about it, I'm getting excited. And I think, you know, that's exactly what you're describing is that that energy is palpable. We want our teachers to still be excited to be in the classroom and be with their students. Um, so let's hear from the students. Caden, Varika, you guys have seen some of this transition take place. What does it feel like to be in the classroom when you see the teachers applying these new ways of teaching, applying these new ways of working with their students that gets them excited again? You want to take it first? Uh, in the last year or so, uh, coming back completely from um, COVID was definitely, I, I go to a magnet school where you have to like apply to get in. And over the course of the like, pandemic, um, our applications completely changed and we weren't like admitting the same type of student. And so the teachers were completely like blindsided coming in and teaching an entirely different population. And they were forced to kind of restructure entirely because they, they, they couldn't use the same methods. They weren't working the same. And so things that they had to do to sort of get their groove back, as, as you put it, I definitely saw that for a lot of it, it was a lot of burnout because they weren't able to um, necessarily get that back super quickly. But by the second semester, there were so many new ideas, ways to get the students working together when they haven't had that opportunity uh, over the pandemic. And getting the students kind of back into it was definitely just as helpful for us as it was for them because having those students who were excited and engaged definitely helped clear out some of the burnout. But it's, it's sad to see that not, not every teacher was able to get that back in the last year, but um, having them work together and collaborate would definitely be a huge boost for our teachers. So, Caden, thank you for that. And um, have a wonderful time in your senior year and wherever you go next. Um, I'm sure they'll be lucky to have you. Varika, so you're you're experiencing hands-on as a maker of things. 
these new ways of working. Tell us a little bit about uh, what you've got going in your startup and, and how these ideas benefit you. Yeah, thank you. So lucky for us, like we were like software driven. So even the pandemic didn't affect so much in terms of like inventory and things like that. Like it wasn't a physical product. So um, that was quite fortunate. But in terms of remote work, something that I noticed was it's really hard to motivate a team of people, especially when they're meeting for the first time remotely. Because I think maybe in traditional work culture, you know, everyone goes remote, but then you still have those ties with your colleagues. But bringing together a team for the first time remotely was challenging in the beginning. And definitely the agile framework that I learned actually really helped with that because um, kind of Simon coached me at the beginning of every meeting to help people like share what they were working on and have like a system and a framework. And I think that helped me have like some sort of authority, quote unquote, to bring to the table too, instead of just letting it be like a free for all. So I noticed that that has been really helpful when there's like some form of structure and then also creating opportunities for people to bond digitally. Like this is something that I participated in a lot through college in the tail end of COVID and also um, with running a team, which is those activities online and those games that have actually become more tailored to remote learning now um, are actually really, really helpful just to get to know people. And I know um, someone was mentioning like the students just wanted to talk about life and not really like classes and stuff. So it's really, really helpful. Thank you. We're coming up on the end of our time box. To our panelists, thank you for sharing your journey as as faculty, as students. It's really wonderful to see um, these ideas about agility and adaptability actually coming to fruition, helping others do it um, and learn from each other, making it their own. We'll include ways to get in touch, find out more about the Wednesday uh, Lean Coffee. Take a look at the show notes. Colleen, my co-host, always a pleasure to hang out with you. Thanks for having me, Andy. It was great. It was great talking with all of you and thank you for sharing your stories, like Andy said. Yeah. And so we hope these stories piqued your interest in learning about how to improve our education system, no matter what persona you are, parent, teacher, admin. Um, if we gave you some inspiration to get through these crazy times, because that's what a good story does, um, give us an A-plus rating on the podcast platform of your choice. Added bonus, give us a comment. We did a little research. Um, if you need some ideas, starters, you can go to boardteachers.com and look for 100 positive comments for student papers. Um, but seriously, most of all, share this podcast with others, parents, faculty, students, and perhaps most of all, Chat about Well, next time, 